this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebanded Safety. There's loads of people on today's episode. We're being invaded by the fleet geeks. Let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you some more about it. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit subscribe and the bell and all of those buttons my name is james mcpherson i'm from the company called risk fluent limited and rebranded safety is our purpose so thank you very much for joining us on our journey and thank you for being here it's lovely to see you all let's get into today's episode so this is the last of the quarterly co-hosts with pete rushmere and we've got pete's fleet geeks with us so there's a community kind of like what we do with the health and safety network work very similar in fleet geeks so it's a community of people trying to make the place the world a better place i suppose probably the best way to do it but ultimately they are what they say on the tin they're a bunch of people who are proper geeky about fleet so let's let's listen to it let's go have a chat with the fleet geeks we are happy in peterborough yeah virtually yeah, no, peterborough bearing in mind james i'm an old git and like a lot, a lot older than these guys, and and and, and your good self, and and I, um, for me, it was like, what is this? This, what, what is this wizardry um, <laughs> that you're transported into this sort of world that is uh, virtual reality? You know, I mean, that's like I was brought up in black and white and stuff. So yeah, to me, it was like, oh well, I've never seen it like that before. It was great, loved it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love. That. I didn't even know that I was. I'm going to have to Google that. That sounds interesting. I did. Oh, good. Yeah. So. For, for, for listeners, we are happy. It's a place in Peterborough. Um, it sounds like there's happy endings. It's not that kind of virtual reality place, right? <laughs> but you do leave happy. Um, but basically, they've got a couple of these pods. You know, you see them in the arcades now where you kind of put the, the goggles on and the pod kind of moves you around and stuff, like on roller coasters. But then they've also got like proper virtual reality where you've got the stuff in your hands and you can play the games like swords and you booed a bow and arrow, weren't we? And we, we uh, went up in the lift and walked the plank, which was that's, uh, that's a good really one good for that. a bit of uh, a go. Yeah, no, I can do that. I did that actually. At, um, like uh, Wayne Canton did like a, they use VR for a load of safety training and I had that uh, exercise. <laughs> Mate, I didn't, I couldn't get, is it when we go up in the lift and then you open it and it's just a plank? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't leave the lift. Yeah, yeah. and you're like at the, top, at the top of a load of offices. Yeah, I didn't the first time round. I had to, I had to go for a second go. I couldn't. Do- Three of us are in my head. I was telling me all the time because Pete told me he couldn't leave the lift. That it's just, it's just virtual reality. But I was fine walking out of the plank, but I couldn't step off straight away. It's unbelievable, isn't it? How it tricks the mind. Yes. Perception of what's there. Yeah. It's nuts. It's proper nuts. I, I could. I genuinely couldn't step. My legs wouldn't move. <laughs> jelly, isn't it? Like jelly. Your legs go to jelly. Yeah, that's literally it. And I was like, oh my god. And Sam, Sam Neil, fair play to him. Obviously, just just waltzed out when we were there. It was like there was Sam Neil there, who Peter, you know, and uh, and uh, Peter Jenkins was there. Who I think you you guys are working talking to anyway. Um, and um, we kind of he just walked out. Sam Neil just walked out on the plank. 
jumped off. Oh, this is a bit weird. I was like, all right, Sam. Got <laughs> masculine kind of like, I'm not scared of anything. <laughs> Kids went up and we put this. We did a vlog of the day. We put this in the vlog. Peter Jenkins went out and let a proper little squeal out. And I was like, oh, thank God. At least I wasn't the only. <laughs> we said Pete, Pete jumped off. So I, I didn't even make it out of the lift. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Right, Jen. <laughs> Let's get into it. Why don't you introduce yourselves uh, real quick? Uh, who wants to go first? Come on, someone put your hand up, go first. The boss can go first. Yeah, I think the boss should go first. Yeah. Set the, set the standards. It's prerogative. Come on, Pete. He's gone quiet. He's not normally quiet on these. Come on, Pete. What's going on? Has he froze? He's not froze. Oh, he has froze. Oh, he probably has, yeah. Oh, come on, Jamie. You go first. I'll Pete. go. I'll go then. I, I am a, a, a senior oh. safety and transfer. Oh, he's back. He's back. I'm back in the room. I'm back in the room. The kids The kids are obviously home from school, so the Wi-Fi bandwidth has just gone oh, right. like that. <laughs> so I'm now, I'm now tethering, I'm now tethering off the phone. So apologies for that. Uh, you lost me temporarily. Sorry, where, where were we? Was I introducing myself? You were. Just, I mean, I've just interrupted Jamie introducing himself, haven't I? Jamie, you carry on. Well, mate. I'll carry on. on. Before I was back. interrupted, I was at... <laughs> Uh, yeah, my name is Jamie. I, I, I work for Flagship Partners. Been here a year now, I think a year and a week, I believe. Uh, senior safety and transport consultant. So a bit of a crossover uh, with safety and transport. But as as, uh, as we all know, there's a lot of uh, parallels between the two, really. Yeah, nice one. Nice yeah. one. Let's leave Pete till last. Come on, Mike. Yeah, I'm Mike. Yeah, so Mike, Mike Vickers. I'm, uh, I'm the training guru, 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 not gunu. Um, I'm the training guru. So uh, yeah, my my uh, principal role within uh, flagships, uh, flagship even is to, uh, is to do all the uh, well, not all the training. I do it all on my own, of course, but do the transport manager training in particular, which is uh, is kind of my bag. But I will turn my hand to anything. In fact, they've even had me first aid training, which is uh, a turn up for the books. But uh, that that's me. I've been, how long? I've been about six months now. So um, after leaving a very, very famous, um, shall we say, um, members uh, organisation, <laughs> without giving it away too much, I was going to be very good. Yeah. Yeah, he left, he left transport's equivalent of IOSH, basically, yeah. to come and, work, come and work with us, basically. Yeah? I was, I was trying to do it without giving the name away, but it's... That's hard well, you didn't. 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 You still didn't. You still <laughs> didn't. But at least IOSH, at least IOSH, like everyone listening will be able to like get their head around IOSH. They get what that is, don't they? Yeah. Which is uh, which is good, isn't it? And uh, Mike, what are you? Because you got some feedback the other day. What are you, Mike? Oh, Just I'm, I'm actually... Yeah, sure. I was... I, you know, I get, we get feedback, get a lot of feedback, and we love feedback in, in the training industry. A trainer loves a good bit of feedback. But I got some feedback the other day, which is the best feedback I've ever had. And it wasn't it wasn't gushing or glowing like they normally are, of course. It was just Mike is a legend. And I thought, wow, that for me, that's the best, the best I've ever had. Mike is a legend. Legend even, yeah. <laughs> that's quite impressive, The best I've got is I got emailed um or like one company connected me with another company and it said, Hi Tom, uh, this is James. James is the only safety professional I know that isn't a complete loser. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. Let's <laughs> go on the website. Uh, that, that went on the website straight away. Yeah. Like, Superb. Yeah, it's a I think I could have asked for. Right. Come on, Pete, introduce yourself. I, 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 I don't know, mate. I think it's a bit controversial with that Tash, mate. What are you on about? I will kick you out of this call, you know. <laughs> you are in control. 
um yeah so who am i well listeners will be a bit familiar with me hopefully if you if you've been living under a rock and haven't listened to the first two podcasts i suggest you go and listen to them and uh and find out what what it's all about and who the fleet geeks are but yeah my name's pete um yeah founder of flagship i do a bit of consultancy and uh and uh safety training and safety consultancy and bits and pieces um when i'm not going to watch the mighty man united at uh, old trafford you know so uh, yeah that's me i guess you know what i find more offensive than my mustache is that you've <laughs> not just man you can give a shit about man united but a football top <laughs> just like oh mate i'm I'm this close pete you're on thin ice mate you're really <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm not on thin hair. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd be gone then, wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, Pete, just quickly, do you want to give us a quick summary of what we covered in episode one and two, and and kind of the the notion of of what we've been talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, do you know what? I think I think it's really great to have Mike and Jamie join us because the first the first session was a bit of an introduction to what what like transport looks like, what fleet looks like, and operator licensing and, and that kind of thing and then the second one uh the second podcast we looked a bit more at the role of the transport manager and what the transport manager does so it kind of makes sense to have two far better transport managers than what i am uh on the call particularly you know jamie who's done it for years longer than i've done it and, and managed some really big fleets um and and obviously mike who trained trains the bloody qualification so um yeah no it's uh, it's great to have these guys on but yeah they, they, those last two if people are interested in fleet and operator licensing and those kinds of things and particularly in a safety context then that's what the first two sessions were about nice one do you know we've had uh, a prof- a premiership winning European championship winning rugby player on this podcast, right? We've had some of the biggest thought leaders in safety on this podcast. And genuinely in the last year, two years, I've had more comments and feedback from the, this conversation that we've had with you, Pete, than I have on many other podcasts for the last, I'll probably say three years. Oh, James, this one with the Pete about fleet was I this. I didn't like this. And I'm like, well, Who'd have thought Pete Rushmill was quite popular? <laughs> it's been really. I, I don't even know what to say. I think my career's peaked, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't ask what rugby player that was then, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Was uh, shit? What was his name? Clark. Um, something Clark. I can't remember his name. I'll have to look at that back episode. He plays. For... I don't mind a bit of the oval ball myself, to be fair. It's a proper sport, mate. He used to play for Saris. Um, All right. I can't remember. Anyway, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think. Um, I think what that showed me was a, a lot more safety professionals than what I. Re- I knew a lot of my audience would already be having either getting close to fleet or already have it kind of chucked on there. Oh, your safety, you can do fleet safety as well. Same thing, right? Just do that. Um, but I think, based off like the, the interaction we've had off the back of this. Um, I think a lot more safety professionals are getting this more than more than what I thought. Um, and a lot of them have found it really interesting. Um, and I'm really, really excited about this one. Uh, as I kind of alluded to, God, if we can just get Pete over and done with and get the other two lads on that. <laughs> <laughs>
really interested in in the dynamic as well. I, I quite like panel style, not panel, but <laughs> yes. conversation much better. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this, guys. So you guys, as a collective, run something called Fleet Geeks, and so. An insight into what what is that? Yeah, obviously the it kind of does what like Ron Sealitz does what it says on the you're all geeky about fleet, but but what does that actually mean? What is it? What do you guys do within it? Well, I think I think um, it's just it's just the, it's just the three of us talk, talking. Uh, sometimes we do it remotely if we're not all together. Sometimes we do it when we when we are together, and um, we just talk about we, we kind of make it up on the hoof, really. It's a secret there. But if there's a sort of um, crossover with your listeners and our listeners, um, we perhaps shouldn't have said that because it's given the game away. But there is a there is definitely a you know just a, a sort of what you know what's the flavor of the month what. What issues are are bugging fleet professionals, transport managers at this point in time? And we just chat about it, and um, and and I think that's the the, the, the beauty of it. There's we don't set out to give a lesson or to give a uh, any sort of instruction or training. It's it's just a chat, isn't it, about stuff, folks? Yeah. Oh, we were saying that transport can be quite a lonely place for a transport manager. So to hear other people talking about it, uh, I think it's yeah, massively massive really just just to hear other people talking about the industry i know as well not many of my friends outside of work are in the industry so no one wants to listen to me chat about work and things when i'm out and about so i'll get that opportunity on fleet gigs um yeah so that's that's what it's about really is it just a chat yeah we, we sinks time so quickly don't we we just like three of us get together and just we just go right let's talk about driver license and bosh and yeah. literally we just we just chat for like 15 20 minutes until we run ourselves out of gas and uh, that's some going if you hear these two chantering away. So, uh, <laughs> um, I think I've only brought you, like, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, like, I think, so we, the, the flagship partners brand and the business does, does what it does. But I wanted the Fleet Geeks to just be something separate, which was where people had access to being able to almost like a library of, of content where they could go, do you know what? I don't really know much about this. So I don't know much about that. And it's like searchable content where people can go and just hear us having a bit of a gas about it. And the thing is by listening in on those conversations, the whole concept was that it'd be like us three sat on the sofa, having a chat about stuff. And then, and then people would be able to kind of like listen in and they're kind of getting that experience from, from the sort of three of us really. But it's like, I don't know, like, we get content from Facebook posts. You know, there's loads of transport yes, manager yeah. forums on yeah. Facebook, for example. So we'll just look like what's flavor of the month at the moment. There's this thing called the 28 day rule for tachographs and manual entries. A lot of people who are listening, that would just go and bosh over their head. Um, but it's a massive thing. And, and the whole industry is like a little bit needs a little bit of guidance about it. So we've poked fun at it. We've had a bit of a laugh at it. We've, uh, done our bit and we've probably done a couple of bits of content on it haven't we so um, but hopefully that will help people get their heads around it and realise but it's not just that it's realising like Jamie said it's that people aren't on their own like actually there's other people who've got them same challenges um, so yeah that's it really I want to shut up now I like that. I did an interesting conversation the other day, actually, around drivers' hours and stuff like that, which which shows. I mean, even in my consulting role, you know, fleet keeps coming up um, quite regularly lately, which is why I keep ringing Pete. <laughs> um, but uh, just, what what is this, Pete? Does it does this make sense? Um, and we were talking about maternity risk uh, risk assessment as a, as a collective, but 
we said, well, what? A, and, and he ended up saying that the the father of of the of the pending child, so to speak, um, also worked for the company driving driving HGV. And I said, well, have you thought about the, the dad in this conversation? What do you mean? I said, I'm telling you now, I like my daughter for the first year, I would not want to be driving a HGV uh, off like a couple of hours sleep. Like, so the difference between driver's hours, so to speak, and how many hours behind the wheel and how many hours sleep did you actually get and how how awake and, and alert actually are you? Yeah. You think about the letter of the law and, um, you know, three times between their sort of what we call their weekly rests, mm. drivers can have as little as nine hours off duty, if you like, off duty. So between finishing a shift and starting another one. So that's nine hours. They've got to drive. Potentially, they've got to drive home, um, say hello to the kids. Have a bit of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Have a bit of tea. Shit, shower, and shave. Uh, not necessarily in that order. And and then do it all again in the morning. So, how much actually sleep have they had in that time? You know, it's 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 it's. What would you get? Four or five hours sleep in that time, if 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 you're lucky. But and they can do that, and they can do that three times between their weekly rest, which is, you know, when you're in your vehicle and you're looking in your car and you're looking in your rear view mirror and you see a truck coming up behind you, you've got to think, well. Just how much sleep has that driver had in the last 24, 48 yeah. hours? And let's not let's not let's not just lose that there because it's not just three times. They could potentially do it every bloody day if they have three hours break during the day. They could, could yeah. they? They could do yeah. a nine yeah. hour, yeah. a nine yeah. hour rest every bloody day of the week. They and, could, and only have a twenty-four hour rest for the weekend. For the weekend, yeah. So, so they could potentially have done. They could potentially have done. 12, 12 shifts, twelve yeah. shifts like that. On the bounce with one twenty-four off, and and isn't it how hard an HGV driver could work? Big tick in the compliant box as well, and that's yeah, potentially. So difference between when we're in in what I deal with in safety is that when we're dealing with the difference between there's something that that actually uh, a Scottish first minister said mid COVID, which I really liked. She said, well, we want people to behave not to the letter of the law, but within the spirit of the spirit, law. Yeah. Really like that. And like I feel like that's the difference there is that example. But we see it in no- I see it in normal safety as well. Like there's a difference between being the letter of the law and trying yeah. to wiggle the way through things and doing it within the spirit of the law as well. I'm I'm stealing that, but it wasn't Nicola Sturgeon, was it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. To, to be fair, the, the, this spirit of the law and letter of the law actually is it's quite, it hinges on quite a few of the conversations we have in Fleet Geeks, isn't it? Which is around, we talk about what's safe and what's compliant. And the transport sector is hell-bent on focusing on compliance, aren't they? Absolutely, we don't yeah. really have, we don't really have, it's only really us that has a safety bloody conversation half the time. Just because a driver can do 15-hour shifts is he safe to do a 15-hour shift? No one's really having that conversation, are they? And if you got if you got a second taco card, mate, you wouldn't even have to stop. <laughs> He's joking, that folks. Happens, <laughs> that, that, that does happen, though, James, just to put you in the loop. That does happen. It does happen, yeah. You get you get drivers who have two cards, and obviously the traffic commissioner will soon catch up with them if, uh, if uh, well, hopefully they catch up on them. But I think that's... I'll, I'll reg- okay, here's a question actually for Mike and Jamie, and hopefully this doesn't go over listeners' heads. And I've never asked you guys this before. How how prevalent do you think off taco driving is? So, i.e., drivers not putting their taco cards in, or fraudulent taco activity where drivers have multiple cards? 
Or the know. director goes to a driver, oh, I'll just use my card today. I think Jamie will probably agree with me on this one. He's probably closer to it than I am, but I hear at least one story per week from training sessions where somebody, a transport manager or somebody in the transport office has had a driver that's pulled, what we call pulling their card, which means they take their tachograph card out to complete some of the journey sort of um, in the dark, as it were. Jamie, would you, would you agree with that be? Yeah, I, I probably don't see it once a week. But I have seen it. I see both fraudulent and the card being pulled. So I've had, I've had drivers where they've been asked to move at night by the police or something, and they've pulled their card to move when actually there's a process to, you know, it's infringement, is it? You, you get the officer to sign the, the print out of the, off the taco unit to say why you've moved. And it's them not understanding it more than them putting their card to get home. Although I did know an agency driver that pulled his card because he fell out with the uh, the company he was working for and just drove straight back because uh, he didn't want to work for that company anymore. And you think, well, how many hours did he do before? Hmm. Uh, and the other one I did recently, the first time ever, we uh, a customer actually spotted this. Not I didn't spot this. A customer spotted that someone had used a second card to get back as well because they couldn't work out how he'd done what he'd done. Wow, and yeah. So that's that's the first real time I've seen that happen. But yeah, you wouldn't know until it, it happens, would you? So Or if someone catches them. Um, with the pulling the card, most of the systems are good at catching that, aren't they? Because yeah. as an operator, you have to account for any missing mileage that's not not attributed to a driver. So an operator worth their, worth their salt really would, would know that a card's been pulled. So that then, if that is happening, you could actually, you know, is an operator turning a blind eye to that? That that would be another issue, wouldn't it? So one of the things, sorry, one of the, one of the things that I just want to put out there with restricted operators, though, is often you have drivers who are more experienced transport professionals than the potentially the company directors. Yeah. So the drivers know all the loopholes and all the little tricks, and actually, potentially, this type of fraudulent activity could be going on without directors line managers health and safety managers they've actually got no idea because they don't understand how it works and the drivers have been getting away with it potentially and you, and you could have you could have companies i've not really thought about it before on the podcast with james but genuinely there could be companies out there who haven't got a control of their transport operation and they're winning awards for their safety they're you know literally everything and they they could be so far wrong the other side of compliant when it comes to their transport operation with, with no idea what their drivers are doing. But is, can, I, can I add into the mix though, uh, James, that we've talked exclusively almost about heavy goods vehicles, but uh, you know, in my experience, a lot of health and safety professionals, when they're given this sort of fleet, uh, when they're handed this fleet uh, on a plate and so they go, you can look after that. It's kind of health and safety-ish kind of stuff. Um, the vast majority of those, in my uh, experience, have been um, vans and, and even the car fleet um, uh, suddenly lands in the lap of a health and safety professional. And vans is a whole new uh, ball game because, um, you know, th th there is some 53 year old rules that concern the hours that van drivers drive and but, but they very 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 rarely even know them or, or or even stick to them and it's not very well policed so don't know, they don't even know they exist like do they they don't exist no. you know they're I mean, so how, how many tradies how many tradies know about G, gb domestic rules no very few i'd probably say did, less did than you know, 10 and i'm not putting you on the spot here james but did you know if a driver drives for more than four hours for work they're covered by what's called gb domestic rules no no yeah, so, it, it, yeah, no, nice. it, it, it's totally expected, mate. It's totally expected, but essentially, yeah, there's such a thing. It's very hard to police, isn't it, guys? But GB domestic rules if someone drives for work 
They drive before, more than four hours in a day. They're covered by something called GB domestic rules. Their shift can't be longer than 11 hours in length. Is that right? 11 hours duty, like, yeah. 10 hours 11 driving. Hours of duty. Yeah. 10 hours drive, 11 duty, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing about vans, um, if you buy a brand new van today, it'll be three years before it gets an MOT, which uh, we, we, we MOT trucks uh, annually and we inspect them regularly. Um, modern trucks, they go in, uh, modern vans go in for a service at when the service light comes on and they have an MOT after three years. Well, it could have done 90,000 miles by that time. And, and um, more. And more that, potentially. That's what would worry me if I was a, if I was a, a safety professional who had been handed fleet um you know i'd be looking at my uh my, my non-hgv fleet as well as my hgv fleet and and that would that would uh that would turn my hair gray i think that's where we went well, well you're very lucky well not you, you yeah in your case no but yeah yeah <laughs> myself and james yeah yeah and just turn it gray mike that's that's all mate uh, yes. When there's, there's something you were kind of you're all talking about, what I should have realised is you get the fleet geeks on and get them talking about fleet. I might not get a word in edgeways, which is interesting. <laughs> talking there, and and there was a couple of things that pricked my ears up when it'd be like, you know, the driver could get away with this, or the driver would pull their card, and the, the directors didn't. Know, just, when we talk about fleet, and it's interesting, I know me and Pete have talked about this kind of offline quite a lot around when they're trying to, so we do quite a lot of work around human error and stuff like that. And often it's like this difficult relationship between accountability and and then the difference between accountability and blame and the relationship with that with with learning about what influenced that person to, to actually make that decision. Do you, do you feel like, do, what are your guys opinion on like say if somebody's pulling the card for example and we are we can we can catch them out or whatever if they're doing that is the conversation like that driver is trying to play the game or is the conversation like why is that driver trying to play the game or does it vary go I'll, I'll just quickly go with this if that's all right and you guys can carry on but i think so my automatic thing there is as an as an industry we go the driver's a dickhead. He's not doing what he should be doing. Yeah, yeah. However, we don't have the conversation as an industry that actually the culture is driving That's, him to do that because it's absolutely. productivity. It's productivity over safety. So we've got the same challenges. In, in my opinion, we've got the same challenges where we've got toxic businesses where it's like get the job done at all costs, which will encourage that to happen. There might be elements of drivers going, do you know what? I'm only an hour from home and I want to stay at home tonight rather than in my cab. You know, there, there is an element of that. Um, but yeah, as an industry, we point the finger at the driver. Um, but we have got very complex rules and we have got companies that are very productivity driven. Um, I'm going to shush now and see what these No, no, do. that's, uh, and I, I agree. And uh, actually, this is proof that I've been listening to the podcast. And yeah, we, we, we tend to blame the, the, blame the person rather than blame the system. Uh, and, and I think if I know that you safety guys, having listened to the podcast and uh, it's, it's piqued my interest in other areas, such as some some people I follow on LinkedIn. Um, but it's become sort of evident that that's kind of how safety culture has how safety, health and safety has been run for many, many years. But, um, you know, that does ring true with what we do in our industry. We tend to blame, you know, it's, it's very easy to blame the individual um and, and and the driver you know uh, but what it's it's got to be looking a bit deeper than that at the at the culture the system it's, it's interesting what, what james said productivity and safety do sometimes have a bit of a uh, 
bit of a challenge in the middle, don't they? Yeah. Where 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 productivity, you know, we need to get this done, we need to get that done. Oh yeah, just do that this time. We've, we, you know, th- th- these things happen. So it's, I don't think that's unique to our industry in transport. I've seen it in factories as well, where you know we you'll know, speak to the guy on the on the factory floor where it's all like they've got brilliant. Everywhere's marked signage. You know, they've all got their PPE on. But actually, when you speak, it looks great. And when you actually speak to the guys on the shop floor, it's like, yeah, it's all, you know, follow the health and safety rules, do everything like this, do that. But until it comes to productivity, falling behind, then things, you know, start to slip. So that, I don't think it's just our industry that's unique to that. But interesting about pointing the point the finger at the driver. Uh, the old adage that shit rolls downhill is definitely prevalent now in our industry, isn't it? That, uh, yeah. yeah, they're at fault. They've done it, you know. We, although we've, we've, we've given him a day. We knew it was his son's birthday, but we've given him a 15 hour day. And he's not got back and he's pulled his card. It's still his fault. Mm. There, there will be elements of that. Somewhere. Absolutely. And, and I think it's a safety blanket that, dare I say, it, leaders in our industry, managers, directors, whoever it might be, it's a safety blanket that they cling to um, because they all they know that if something goes wrong, well, as long as I've got all my boxes ticked here, I can just point the finger at the blame, uh, at the blame yeah. at the driver. And, and it's a kind of safety blanket. And, um, it's wrong. It is wrong, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. I think it's one that still the general safety profession is still trying to get its head around. I think we tend to go too far in that we end up going. I think I think now we've got like this big no blame movement, which is like I understand what you're saying, and that blame doesn't help us learn and so on and so that. But like. We we can't say no blame when there is a there is legal accountability and people will get blamed. Yeah. I feel like it's become a bit of a platitude now, the same as Vision Zero or Zero Harm has become a bit of a platitude. It, it, it's all very much, uh, I don't know, maybe the naivety of the profession, my, of, of my profession, but ultimately like, we're still struggling to get our head around this kind of accountability. Uh, when's the right time for accountability? Ultimately, I think is what we're trying to say. Um, but I do get a sense of, and I get very limited interaction with fleet because I purposely try to avoid it. Like plague. <laughs> when I do interact with it, it's very much like, God, that's just, that's just a driver. He's a bit of an idiot. Um, I'll give him a warning when I get back. And I'm like, mm, did we, did we even have a conversation as to why that person might have done that? Why that ended up there, yeah. Only yeah. one side of the story and we've not heard the other. Um, oh, the guy's just a bit of an idiot or the guy's just, oh, we've had this problem with him before. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not, I'm not here for fleet, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to push <laughs> it. Um, but it is, it is interesting. Do you think that the, do you think the industry, I mean, it was a long time ago, um, I had a guy on who runs a company called Bright Mile, I think. And it's like, a, it's an app-based tech that kind of encourages safe driving behaviors, basically. It's like a behavioral-based app. And um, and he he made a claim, he, he statistically said that in there, that statistically speaking, once you drive over 30,000 miles, it's the second most dangerous profession in the world or something like that, if you're, you're driving. Oh, yeah. 30 miles an hour so it's a very dangerous thing to do right particularly driving hgvs do you think the people that run businesses drive hgv hgvs manage fleet think that it's a dangerous thing to do or do you think that no no i I think it varies actually i think some some do some don't it depends on the culture of the company itself i would say um 
some of the bigger companies because they have other departments that are health and safety driven that that tips over into the transport side but perhaps a medium-sized transport business with 25 trucks wouldn't actually think about it once again it's, it's ticking them compliance boxes would be their number one aim absolutely and it's um it's, i tell you what it's, it's an interesting statistic and i know that the you know, for years we've said, uh, why doesn't uh, why doesn't road risks get included in HSE data? Because it would just put it off the scale. Yeah. Um, so on average, we've been killing one truck driver a week on our roads um, for, for for goodness knows how long. I mean, it was you know probably a few years ago it was more than that, but certainly in the recent times, it's it's on average about one a week. HGV or professional driver is killed on the UK's road. So, you know, if that was one roofer a week or one, uh, you know, factory worker a week, I think we'd be having some deeper conversations about about road risks. Um, and I think it's something people don't take into account. You know, I and I know Jamie will have some experience as well with this, but you know, I've certainly been involved a few times where there's been a fatality in the workplace. Not in the workplace because it didn't happen in the in the factory or in the yard or in the but it happened out on the road and it's just as devastating to the to the business. Yeah, it's interesting that a, a injury from a road truck accident accident is not uh, riddle reportable. No, I find that bizarre when you at work. Just doesn't figure, does it? On the you know. And it, and it is, it is I had dealt with one the other day and I had to ring Pete just to clarify. This is, I think this is Riddor. Is this Riddor? And Boo's like, yeah, totally. But it is, it is weird, this relationship that we've got. And I, and I think, Mike, you might have hit an awkward nail on the head there in that I don't think we want to admit that, yeah, we don't want to include those stats because price is not. Because they're high. Yeah. yeah. I just does do you think as well if you were to extend that so you said that that it's one drop professional driver a week what about the people that are not at work so other you know public members of the public absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. you're you're four times more likely to be uh, injured or killed in an accident involving a heavy goods vehicle so um it, you know as as a member of that we've all got this is why you know this is why we've we've all we're all stakeholders in the work of um, the traffic commissioner and the, uh, and the driver and vehicle standards agency and, and the police. We're all stakeholders in what they do because we're all road users. Uh, and and, and I, know, I think the general public, if you, come, if you happen to have an unfortunate incident with a heavy goods vehicle, um, you're four times more likely to come off of it not very well yeah. um, than you would be another motor vehicle or another you know, motorbike or whatever. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's a big impact on road safety as heavy goods vehicles. And I think I think I, all, all I really would like to add to that is actually I've thought of a great guest for James on a future podcast, and that's Mark Cartwright, yes. who I'm sure we could hook you up with, James. He heads up the national highways. Really, really interesting guy. Great speaker, isn't he, Mike? He came he's on half a fantastic speaker, yeah. Um, he, he's well worth a chat around. So they have all sorts of different initiatives around safety and road safety and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, he, he, he'd he be fantastic. But um, oh, where was I going? It was along the lines of that, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but HGV drivers, professional vocational drivers, are held to a higher level of regard than normal normal drivers and a lot of the public won't necessarily realize that you know the transport manager if a driver gets caught using his phone at the wheel like all, all other drivers he'll get his six points and two or he or she will get their six points fine uh, 200 pound fine and six points on their license but differently 
it's down to us to uh, report that driver to the traffic commissioner. It's very likely they'll lose their vocational license for a month. Yeah. So that wouldn't happen to a van driver. No, they're not regulated to that same same level. Mm. They're only mm. regulated like a car driver would be regulated. Yeah, that's mm. a good point. So, so, but I think I think the challenge I then raise is that we've got loads of van drivers out there who are using their phones, and and with the new highway code, how how have they had that communicated to them around not being able to touch the screen on their mobile? Yeah. It's a whole new whole new kettle of fish, right? Highway code, not able to touch the screen. Most of them are using them for bloody sat navs. Yeah. Not only that, if they're delivering parcels, they're probably, you know, they're probably clicking that they've done that job and, and, and everything else. It's probably part of their PDA, isn't it, to, 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 for their work, really. And, this, and, and the van this, side of things is even going to get bigger, isn't it? It's just going to continuously grow. It last, is. Yeah. Last, mile, last mile distribution, there's not, there's not the stats there, is there? But last mile distribution is just Sorry. high, I think, I think the highest risk. Last mile distribution, but like elaborate. I've never heard that phrase before. So it, your Amazon, your Amazon DPD type, last mile type, the guys who are delivering 200 parcels a day in their vans with no brakes, no inspections on their vehicles, yeah. no regulation whatsoever. I'm going to go, because talking of which, here's my food delivery. That type of thing. Which got there safely. It's like we throw this stuff together, isn't it? It's, but it's not. It's well prepared. It's well planned. Thanks, Tesco. That was perfectly timed. Cheers, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other supermarket brands are, of course, available. Actually, I'm surprised, Pete, Tesco's, you know, I know Tesco's have got a good good rep, like, but I would have thought up in the Hamptons there, it would have been Waitrose or... Um, <laughs> There's a big Tesco at, at, at Peterborough. We're, we're clearly not paying him enough, Jamie. That's uh, the problem. <laughs> so, why, why did you... So, I'm assuming, was, was Fleet Geeks like... Uh, a kind of collaborative idea or did one of you go, I've got an idea about this thing. What do you think? Or did we all just like over a beer were like, yeah, that's a great idea. How did, how did Fleet Geeks kind of come about? I can't remember. I think it was Pete, was it? I can't really remember yeah, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's, let, let's, we could, we could have, we could have, because he's not here, because he's just gone to his <laughs> Tesco's in. We could have said no, me and Jamie came. Yeah, but yeah, no, to be fair, it was his idea. And, um, uh, you know, I, I I mentioned, you know, when I spoke to, initially spoke to Pete about joining Flagship, I did mention that what was missing in my current role was my ability to go a little bit off-piste because I was very, you know, uh, every word has to be scrutinised by half a dozen committees so you know and then he said well funny you should say that he said but um <laughs> you know i've got this idea for this podcast and i think that's how it came came about really but yeah nice. we'll give him the credit yeah yeah i think i think i think it was initially yeah definitely and and how have you, how have you found the industry are the industry been quite receptive of it or is it a mixed bag because my relationship with rebounding safety has been really interesting through the through the years in that the audience is growing. The audience that listen to us all every week are always really positive and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But interestingly, when I was in employed roles and in between jobs and trying to find a new job, it actually wasn't helpful. It was it was actually oh, really? company saw it as a as a threat, I think, from the as a threat from maybe like branding point of view, as to to your point, Mike, as a, a bit of a oh, I'm not sure if I like the lack of control I have on that. And and this person is mm. yeah worked for a trade association so similar everything by committee um so i can i can i get what you're saying there mike i can i can feel yeah definitely 
Yeah, and it's weird. And, that, and that's one of the things that attracted me to, to, to you know, to, to, to join Pete was, um, you know, I could go off piste a little and um, un, un, unscrew the shackles that were that were on there originally. Um, I had muted this idea with the powers that be, but yeah, as you say, like through various committees would have to, uh, you know, approve it and all the rest of it and i don't you know it just was it wasn't a goer but uh yeah no it's how's he how are they taking it well do you know what i think we've got a lot of secret listeners because the number of people um on you know i speak to say oh listen to the podcast they're great and i think well i didn't even know you listened to the podcast and you know what, what's what's this a secret listener but um yeah i think i think we, it's growing isn't it it's, it's a yeah we did the road transport expo oh, uh, i can't think what it was was it uh, the end of july yeah. i believe and i was surprised actually the people that did come up and, and, and actually talk about the the podcast and they, they seem to receive it quite well so yeah but we've not had any complaints that's our surprise not that i know of that's what we have it's interesting. Yeah. You, do, do, do you put Fleet Geeks out on YouTube or is it just audio? Does it just go out podcast? I believe YouTube as well, isn't it? Yeah, YouTube it's, and then yeah, yeah. audio media as well. It's interesting. It's, I don't. I don't know. It's across. It's across all the. It's across all the platforms. I think you young people say, don't you? I don't know what that <laughs> means, but you know, for me, that was a shoes that people wore in the nineteen seventies. But yeah, I think it's across all the platforms. Even available on the Wind Up Radios, Mike. Even <laughs> yeah, cry, that'd be all right for me. Um, it was interesting. One of the one of the things about podcasts, to your point about secret listeners, is that you you know it's a sixty minute, twenty minute, two hour, whatever type length podcast. If you, if you listen to something, say, early on in the episode that you're like, oh, I don't agree with that, by the end of it, it's 40 minutes later, you, you might have forgot, and you're just like, I'm not going to say anything, I'm not going to feel I can't be asked. Um, whereas when you put it onto YouTube, you can kind of comment live because the commenting yeah. so you can feedback instantly. So it's an interesting uh, dynamic between the two. But that, that's nice. That the, that's, I like that the industry is quite receptive of it. And so... It's kind of freeing being on there then to your point, Mike, but like, so, and we've probably touched on, on, on some of the stuff that kind of irks you guys in the, in the industry, but is there anything we haven't discussed so far that, that you just go, do you know what? I wish we could sort this out. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, how, how long have we got? So, you know, it's a, that's a, that's a three hour mammoth podcast. No, it's, um, I, I guess this thing that, that for me, um, the thing that really irks me, talk, talking in the, in the context that we're talking today, is this people can't differentiate between compliance and safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it, is, it is endemic through our industry that people are just looking for compliance. They're not looking for safety. Yeah. Um, and then just ticking, ticking that old box, you know, and uh, it, 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 it can be a bit of a struggle to, to, to you know, to use that phrase, you, you know, the spirit or Nicola used the spirit of the law rather than the, the, the and that does irk me. Uh, and and the other thing that where that alludes to is is the if you look on the Facebook forums, I'm fairly new to Facebook. I'm discovered it until I joined Pete and the rest. You know, it was a, I didn't understand it really. But um, when you look on the forums, there people are always looking for loopholes. You know, if you know, uh, oh, can the driver? Uh, could, the driver can only do this, that, and the other. And then somebody will come back. Ah, yes. But what if it's the third Sunday after Lent? And the driver's name is Steve, and Aquarius is rising through the moon. You know, it, 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 it's it's kind of like a, 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 they're always looking for that loophole. 
I don't, know, I don't know what you feel, Jamie, about that. That's... Yeah, yeah. And also, also another thing that irks me, we sort of, the transport industry manages through fear, doesn't it? It's, it's, yeah. You don't do that because, yeah, don't do that because rather than education. Fear, and that, yeah. It, it, and that's the way it's sort of managed, doesn't it? You do that, you'll get, you know, you potentially get a fire. You do that or, you know, you face disciplinary action. We don't, we don't proactively manage education-wise enough, really. It's all about if you don't, if you do that wrong, you're going to get fired. If you do that, we, you could lose your license. And I think and that has to be there. Obviously, there has to be some kind of uh, endpoint to, to that. You know, if you're doing stuff wrong, but I think we, there needs to be, and that's what I like about flagship. We we try and educate, don't we? And yes. If you go to a business, they do try and run through, run the business through theory really, to manage their drivers uh, to make the compliance, and not so much the safety. And that's. Yeah, that's not, that's not great, is it? In safety, we love extremes, right? We love tribalism. We seem to be addicted to it. So when people talk about AI coming into the workplace, particularly in safety, we automatically assume it's going to make someone redundant. It's going to make me redundant, make someone on the shop floor redundant. It's going to make a boardroom member redundant. And the list goes on. Whereas if we had a bit more of an open mindset, we can probably start to understand how AI can really enhance our roles. It can really enable us to just be better at what we do. And considering safety has been on a bit of a plateau for the last decade, more than a decade, then maybe it's something we should really be considering something that can help us make better decisions ai could provide more data than what we have ever had ai can provide richer data than what we've ever had therefore we can make better data informed decisions ai can make us better at what we do and what we do is create better workplaces right so often when we think, oh, it's AI versus safety, it's not. It's, it's another amazing tool that I genuinely think, that we genuinely think at Risk Fluent and Rebranding Safety can really help us break that plateau. And if this is a topic that interests you and you want to find out some more, then you should definitely follow Protex AI. You should go and find out more about their webinar series that they're running. And the first webinar is called AI versus the EHS Manager. If you want to find out some more information, you should check out their website, which is in the description below. That's a really interesting point there, Jamie, I think actually that you've kind of, you, you've hit on there because typically within like safety, we've managed very much through control and we can do that because typically we're in an environment where, so if you think of like health and safety legislation predominantly comes from industry. So predominantly comes from kind of factory based background. A lot of it does anyway. Obviously when we move over to construction type roles, it's, it's slightly different, but Dominantly, a lot of the people that we're trying to influence and manage are quite close in control, quite literally their body is in the same building as as we are, right? Yeah. Person. Now, slightly different with, with trades maybe, but normally you get those couple of touch points with them. You're quite close to right? Whereas the fleet kind of industry, the HGV drivers, you know, if you've got a driver that's only worked driving nights, you probably might never see them. Um, never see them. Jump in a cab. Yeah bugger off and they get sent their jobs through a tablet or whatever and and that's it. it it's a it's a it's a it's a profession with not a lot of touch points you're trying to influence um in a in a in a way that you don't get interaction with them really and that no, no. the only ways we know how to control is to physically limit what you can do which which we've tried to do through the design of the the cab and what you can do in there but ultimately it's not cheap to buy a new truck, is it? So that there's a big no. 
the company. So the next earning thing we know is stick and carrot. So we might try and incentivize or or decentralize by scaring you. So it's interesting. It's like pushing our our knowledge, isn't it, on our skills? Definitely. I quite often make an analogy in training when when we're talking about this in training. In a factory, if you've got somebody using a guillotine, um, you know, or some sort of press or some sort of nasty thing that will mangle your hands up, um, you know, you can go in there and say, look, you've taken that guard off. That guard is there to stop you from cutting your hands off. Whereas in the in our industry, uh, the seatbelt could be seen as the same thing, really. You know, you could, it's the same. It has the same kind of effect. We, we put a seatbelt in a vehicle to stop you going through a window screen, which is in, incidentally in a truck is only, you know, a foot in front of your nose. Um, and but but what the way we approach it is say you must wear a seatbelt because a nasty man will give you a hundred pound fine if you don't wear a seatbelt, and I think that's the way we come. That's the that's it's the know, culture that of it. Yeah. It's what we do in our industry. The punishment, as Jamie said, the punishment always comes first rather than the. Well, hang on a minute. You could get like squished like very easily, <laughs> and I think that's. I'll tell, I'll tell you a little story, and it, and I won't mention any names, but a company I did some work with um, a few years ago, big company, lots of fans. Um, that they had a problem with drivers not wearing seatbelts. So in the yard, as they went out the yard, uh, they were they were checked. Are you wearing a seatbelt as you go out the gates? Are you wearing a seatbelt? And they came back in and they said, right, we've got a hundred percent compliance. Everybody who went out the yard was wearing a seatbelt. Now, a few weeks later, they conducted the same experiment, but they hid um, down on a roundabout, about, you know, about 100 metres, 200 metres from the factory gates, or the, the, the distribution centre's gates. And uh, they did the same exercise, and that compliance had dropped down to 60%. So the drivers were putting the seatbelts on to get out the yard, um, because that's where somebody was stood with a clipboard ticking a box. But, you know, straight away down the road, take the seatbelt off. And that's what we've got to turn them on the head. Why? Why they do that? That's for education, isn't it? As well, it's got to be. It's the only way, really. Is that, like James says, it's uh, it's difficult to get them touch points with drivers. Um, you can't be there. You can't. You can't do a, a safety walk around a, a truck and it, every time it does a delivery, can you? Where well, you can yeah. do that in a factory, can't you? you? Go for a quick walk, you know, once a day even. Um, you can't. You can't do that with a driver. They're generally out and about, and like you say, they know they've got to follow the rules, perhaps in the distribution centre. However, they're they're probably gone out the distribution centre for for 10, 12 hours a day, so uh, it's difficult. Interesting. I, I, I just want to, I, so I just wanted to add complacency. I think we've got a massive level of complacency because we we all drive all the time, and drivers just shrug the shoulders, do it all the time, and it's it's the old the absence of accidents doesn't necessarily dictate future accident performance. Whereas we've got a load of drivers who think, well, I've never had an accident yet. Doesn't turn, doesn't don't realise that down the road in two weeks' time they've got a catastrophic one coming up. Yeah, you only need one really, don't you? <laughs> that can yeah. ruin your whole day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We actually. Sorry, sorry, John. No, no, compliments. What I was going to say, really. So, interestingly, we had um, a lead come into the company a while back, and um, and and they said exactly that. You know, or you know, we we don't we don't really need you to see you that much, James. Um, so you can probably cut the price down uh, because we're a really safe company. I was like, oh, okay, cool. What are you basing that on? Oh, I've been doing this 52 years. I think I've only had two incidents that I know of. And I said, oh, yeah, it's the last bit you said there that's really important, mate, that you know of. Now, you know, the, st- the stats outside of that tell me that construction, which is where you're working, is, 
is the biggest killer or sometimes second to, but, but normally one of the biggest killers in the UK every year consistently for over a decade. Um, but you seem to be not touched by that. You're just perfect. Not like sounds like, how are you doing that? Well, it's that moment in the accidents to Pete's point, you know, the, the, the absence of accidents, not presence of safety. So, um, but yeah, it, it didn't get it. And, uh, and we left it there and we're, we're not working with that customer, unfortunately, but it's, um, it is interesting how we, we utilize that, but there is a, there is not an absence of accidents in, in road though, is there? I mean, it's, it's, it happens all the time. We see it. So it's even, we can't turn around and say the absence of accidents is like, yes, the roads are safe, but maybe the roads are safe in comparison to the amount we drive because we all drive so much, don't we? But yeah, like it's, it's, it's not safe. I don't feel safe when I'm on the motorway at all. You're muted, Pete. Yeah, sorry. I think, I think one of the issues is around, I think it's this, uh, level of conscious competence and therefore i think if you are if you surveyed 100 hgv drivers i would say 99.9 percent of them would go but i'm a better driver it's actually all those others that are the problem yeah, yeah. and it's all those others that are the problem it's the unwilling to unwillingness to accept you know that they need that they need to make sure that they're safe as well and interestingly, like, like similar to what you just said, now I worked with a with a company that did a lot of uh, of that had a fleet, and um, and when they were kind of going to a job, if they got there and were like, I said, what do you do if you get to a job and you're like, I can't do this, not safe, I can't get in there, I can't do do whatever, um, I literally can't fit the vehicle down there. What 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 do you do? Oh, the office are really good. I just ring them up and say we can't deliver there. It's not going to happen. I was like, okay, that's interesting. A couple of days later, I went out with a different driver and um, had a phone call uh, while she was driving. Picked it up and uh, and he was like, oh yeah, um, can you go to Blah Blah Street? Uh, Jamie's just rang me. He can't can do that job. So can you go and do it? I said, oh okay, that's interesting. I said, does that happen a lot? He said, yeah. When all the other in shitty drivers can't do it, they just ring me and I get the job done. I was like, ah, that's interesting. So the office are really good, but no, they're not. They just shift the problem somewhere else. And this guy, somebody else. Yeah. Right. It's very sad, Jazz. I've seen that happen so many times since I've been in this industry, he, he, he won't do that job. Yeah. So it's someone else. It's not that he won't do it. He, it's because it's, he, he doesn't feel safe doing that job, but someone else's different perception on safety <laughs> is that uh, they'll, they'll send them instead rather than investigate the root cause. Yeah. You're right. Customers can be the customers can be the worst of that. The the other they'll say to the driver when the driver you know makes it makes a thing about look I don't know if I can get down there, pal. The, the customer will say, "What well, a guy who came last week did it." But what they don't understand is the guy who came last week came in a came in a seven and a half tonner, and this guy's turned up in a forty four ton Arctic. It's a little bit different, you know. But um, and of course that being predominantly male, you know, there, we are thankfully seeing more and more female drivers on the road. But the male in us will say, "If Fred did it last week, I'm going to bloody do it," um, and, and and that leads to problems. Yeah, yeah. I think there's another, another issue with that as well. Generally, a driver will get there and he doesn't want to be held up because he's still got lots of work to do that day. So it'll be like, I'll just do it this once. I need to get this off. So I won't, you know, I won't get home tonight or I won't get back or I'm going to run out of time. So there's there's them pressures as well, isn't there? There's Absolutely. so many different pressures to make them bend their rules or or just try it that once. 
There, I, I think you raise a really good point there. There's a lot of demands on drivers. Demands, aren't there? Yeah. When we look at, when we look at like the management standards, there's a huge amount of demands, and also there's so many demands placed on them externally, which are not like are out of their control. For example, road conditions, road road works, delays, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's so many factors there that can impact their productivity, which aren't aren't their responsibility or aren't aren't down to them. Yeah, it's it's funny, really, because we spoke about the uh, what did you call them? The last mile drivers was that, yeah. which makes sense to me now. You ship it to the the local station, and then they do the last mile. I get that, uh, but when you said it first, I was like, "What? What's the last mile?" Right, it makes sense now. Anyway, um, we were. I know there's a situation where it just shows uh, how restrictive we create environments in which employees operate in, not just in fleet, but anywhere else. And we had, we were we were due to go out, me and the wife and everything, and we were like, we we were late or we were going to be late. I can't remember. And we were waiting for delivery of some PC equipment, and I didn't want as Amazon and everyone else and DPD and I've all seemed to have managed to just still do after COVID is just leave stuff at the door, uh, which I'm like, how post COVID are we still expecting that you're going to leave this like really expensive piece of gear just sitting at my door um, and not know how long I'm going to be. So I was like, well, I can't trust it. I like, I need to, I need to stay. Um, so I was like, Oh, you go, you know, in your app, it says seven stops away and you can see where the, where the, yeah, tra- yeah. So I was like, he's literally behind us up the roads. I'm just going to run up there. I'm going to say, hey, mate, look, here's my order. Here's evidence that I had my driver's license on me, my address. Um, can I save you some time and save me some time and just take it off here? And he says, I'm not allowed the app point. Let me issue the delivery until I've done the free before you and I was like even though I'm here and I could save you time like it's funny that time is often a time pressure is often a thing that forces us to make poor decisions but then just once I'd create an environment which could save him time and the system didn't let him save system yeah yeah interesting and and it comes back to that point is that we've got very little ways to control the driver's behavior that sometimes we become very restrictive and and not not kind of um allow them to be the place to be to be flexible that we would could benefit from that's a very poor way of saying it but but do you think that there's one thing I spot quite a lot in safety is that we're doing a lot of safety work, a lot of systems, a lot of tech and a lot of stuff in the name of safety that I think is trying to overcompensate for the lack of investment on competence. Do you think that applies to HGV drivers and also just van drivers, fleet drivers in general? Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. Um, the reliance on, you know, it's a difficult path to go down, isn't it? Because we want to improve efficiency through having, um, you know, driver aids and systems that allow us to plan work better. Um, but at the same time, we, we can become slaves to those and it can take some of that decision making. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, and I, no secret, the fact that I always wanted to be an airline pilot, never quite made it. Um, but I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, those early uh, aviators um had skills that the modern aviators probably don't have because quite a lot of the systems now are automated and i think it's definitely the same with driving 
Um, and, and that can, you know, the, we, we want to make the world a more efficient place. We want to make the world, but is that necessarily making it a safer place for the driver? I don't know. It's a good point. Really good point. I just wanted to add, how does it feel, Mike, wanting to be a pilot, but actually being on a podcast with like the best aviation fighter pilot that America has had to offer? I know, yeah. It's just one of your expense, mate. It's just one of your expense, Goose. Goose is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, Jesus Christ. Stunt double, yeah. That good because I freaking die halfway through the film, don't I? So, spoiler, through the first film, yeah. Original Top Gun, and you. I'm sorry, but yeah, spoilers. Yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry, Jamie, I interrupted you, mate. I was just saying, it's quite interesting about all the driver age now. Is I had a driver moment the other day about how much of a distraction it was. Yeah, because uh, you've got the side scans beeping, you've got a, a, a camera on the left hand side, you've got what six mirrors now on a truck. Um, and you've only still got two pair of eyes. Yeah, you've probably got the sat nav. Drivers rely more and more on a sat nav rather than you speak to a driver 10 years ago, they'd be able to tell you where somewhere was. You speak to a driver now, it's they've relied on sat nav so much. It was the postcode, yeah. So there's so much information. And then, then when you're looking outside the window, you've got your road signs. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of. I did read somewhere that a driver. I can't remember what the exact figure was. But the amount of information a driver processes when they drive now. Uh, I mean, it's it's astronomical because there's so much going on. It's such an interesting point you bring up there again, Jamie. Because um, I've recently got a, a new car, and my old car used to have uh, adaptive like sensors, so it would tell me it would warn me you're getting too close to the car in front of you. And then if I put cruise control on, it would it would do that for me. I was and it was great. What I've noticed now going into my new car, which doesn't have the sensors in front of me, it doesn't scream at me if I'm if they it sensed that car in front of me put its brakes on and you haven't put your brakes on. It doesn't do anything. I've noticed that my driving has changed. I, I used to be quite a cautious driver with people in front of me. I wouldn't get too close. Um, I've noticed I'm driving quite close to people, and I'm. I'm yeah slamming my brakes on and I'm like what why am I doing it and I've realized because kind of learned helplessness has set in I got so used to this driver aid as you call it um to help me not go to the car in front I've just gone cool I don't need to focus on that I'll go as close as close as the car will let me and then it will scream at me and I'll just put my brakes on and I've noticed that in my own driving and I'm not driving a freaking HGV I'm driving a stupid little SUV Jamie is the driver trainer, so um, he'll, he'll know th this more than anybody. But yeah, a, a good driver should be able to be self-critical. And when I'm self-critical of my own driving, generally speaking, it's around tuning the radio in. I mean, once upon a time, I twiddled a knob. I'm old, so I turned a knob. And that changed my radio station, you know. Uh, but nowadays, it's so complicated that I'm having to take my eyes off the road. To, and that's where I, my driving lets me down. Would you think? Check out check out Victor Meldry, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to pull your area up before you set off? Yeah, well? yeah, and that. Yeah. Ah, well, <laughs> good point. Choke as well, and his manual choke. Because you won't know. <laughs> I had a manual choke on my first car. Your hand, if you'd forgotten to pull your aerial up, you had to put your hand out the window, <laughs> lean across, and pull your aerial up first. Yeah, absolutely. So there is, there has been some improvements. There, there has yeah. been some improvements. Yeah. yeah, it's quite interesting. Well, like the mirror cams on trucks. 
how a lot of lot of fleets have implemented them. And, and you speak to drivers, I've not seen many drivers that like them. No, they find them a bit of a hindrance. It's quite quite a, a weird one, isn't it? So what, where's that? Is that an improvement the mirror cam? So yeah, obviously the uh, time will be the the proof on that really. But a lot of drivers I speak to absolutely hate mirror cam. Like they won't want to drive the truck. It's got mirror cam. Yeah, if you look at a lot of fleets, a lot of fleets have gone that way, haven't they? Absolutely, yeah. And I think well, a lot of yeah, the vehicles I think will eventually all be mirror cams, but. Yeah. Um, they're gonna to have to get used to it but yeah it is different but is that progress i don't see that what benefit that gives really i'm not sure the jury's no. out i would say i'm, I'm sure a piece of glass uh, is cheaper than a camera yeah. i think I, I think i think the claim is one fuel efficiency by three to five percent uh for a mirror yeah. cam it gives less friction uh friction what am i talking about less air resistance less drag yeah, they, yeah i was gonna say bloody poor physics that is um and then and then the other one is that it's alleged to give you a wider a wider view than what a mirror could reproduce yeah, i think it does is yeah. is the is the alleged benefits but i have heard issues obviously um around quite apparently they're not much fun if you get a bead of water on them no i've had that as well, yeah. apparently if you get a bead of water on a mirror cam it, all of a sudden everything's just distorted um so I don't know whether they're heated. Oh, I, I, I've not driven a mirror cam, so I don't know. I, I, even, I, I did read the in the press. I did read in the press that the, the new mirror cams are better than the old ones. I, I don't know why. Or how. I have actually tried to hitch a trailer up with a mirror cam, and I found it quite tricky because I was looking outside the window for the mirror rather than inside the cab for the, the camera. But that would come with it. That's it's a bit like we was talking about. Hey, you get used to what you have, don't you? So a bit like you with your assistant assisted cruise control, you do get used to what you have. Absolutely. What Jamie doesn't tell you there is the trailer was in another postcode, but <laughs> he was That's trying to line it up. <laughs> Do you think the what, what's your thoughts, gents, on like the point to entry to become a driver, like the competency of being a driver? Is it? Is it oh, good question. Interesting. I had a great. I'll just show this story. I did some uh, training this morning about uh, with tachographs with a driver. Not long past his test, uh, so. To, have, to drive a truck professionally, you need a, a, a professional competence, certificate of professional competence, say that again. And um, he, he, I was going through the tackle and there's certain things he didn't know. And he was saying, it's quite interesting when you pass your test, you, you do modules two and four to get your, your uh, CPC when you first start. And he said, they don't, wasn't, this wasn't discussed, this sort of this important stuff here. However, you know, checking for immigrants under the vehicle and that was, you know, what's important is, is never going across the water. Yeah, that was a, a point of conversation on his uh, modules there, but not not the driver's hours, what we was going through. So it's quite interesting. Um, what I would also say as well, the point of entry, it's been a long time since I've done my test. Uh, I don't know if anyone's done it more recently. Have you got HGVP? Yeah, but mine, mine's still been some, some time ago. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's, so. it's, it's, been, it's been a while. Yeah, it's a, it's generally what is it a week two weeks I can't really remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it's it's a, a, a week weeks. course. Generally, yeah, it used to be yeah, it used to be class two, so you used to do a rigid and then you'd do a yeah. class one as well, wouldn't you? Whereas now it's straight into class one, isn't it? So they have streamlined it. Um, but it's uh, you know I think um, the, very much the driver CPC qualification. People will have heard me talk about the transport manager CPC qualification being a. Um, you know, something where you get the ticket and then you learn to do it. And driver's CPC is much the same. It's and, and driving is much the same. It's almost similar to you being able to go and get your knee bosh. The 
diploma um, without ever having properly identified and managed risk in a work environment. You know, you can go and get the ticket. It doesn't mean you're competent to do it. Very big difference in the fact that I'm not operating a massive machine that that drives. I mean, I don't know what can these. What's the fastest a HGV can go? At fifty six mile an hour, if you stick to the limiter. Right. What's the fastest it can go though? <laughs> you could let well, it roll downhill to about ninety mile an hour, I suppose, but it wouldn't recommend it. I tell you, I tell you what. I once followed one of our when I was at Volvo. Uh, we had a dual. We used to Volvo do a dual clutch FH tractor unit. So a dual clutch is taken like from racing technology. So the next gear is engaged before it's actually left the left. You've got two clutches basically, so you've got next gear ready to go like that. And uh, yeah, this Volvo could smoke a Range Rover Sport. That's for sure. It was quick. What? Very, very quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Proper quick. Proper quick. Smoke to Range Rover Sport at the lights. Yeah, yeah. We're a really tractor unit on its own. We're driving it. It's, yeah. it's, it's very powerful, isn't it? You think about it. a tractor unit on its own. It's designed to carry potentially forty-four ton. And it was a tractor unit on its own about seven and a half ton, if that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that one would have been that would have been about eight ton. Yeah, and five five hundred five hundred brake horsepower. Well, they're up to seven twenty now, aren't they? Horsepower. 770, 770, 770 the, bloody the biggest production at the minute, yes. Yeah, That's Bugatti Veyron territory, that is, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can operate a, a phenomenally powerful machine with what, two, <laughs> two weeks training? Two weeks training, yeah, two weeks yeah. training, yeah. Two weeks training. That, that to me, just feels... I mean, it's interesting because we've got like, I don't know if we still have a driver shortage or what, like people are not talking about that anymore, but like, you know, we used to have this driver shortage, whatever that means, but like, and then you can feel like that environment being like, oh, we need drivers quick, being like, okay, cool, let's cut it down, let's cram it into, let's create, you use the word streamline, Pete, like let's do a, a streamline course where we can teach them to drive a HGV in a week now. Great, the industry cheers with with jubilous. Like, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, they took the reversing part out of the test for a class one vehicle. Wow. Um, it's still they still still tested on it, but the training centre now has to test the the driver on the reversing part. Right. So I, I don't know how what to what standard that's done. So I, I can't really comment. And but the, it's uh, the, that out. For, for those um, safety professionals that that might be listening, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure that's where your mass majority of your listeners come from. Um, in in the yard, um, that is where you're likely to get an incident involving a heavy goods vehicle, where a vehicle is coupling or uncoupling. Uh, and it can be really, really nasty. Um, and, uh, you know, if that isn't done properly, then, uh, you know, you are going to be a part of that uh, sort of investigation as a health and safety uh, professional because they're going to be happening on your watch, can your ma- on your manner. So, um, yeah, and then now taking it out of the, uh, the test. It, it is tested, but it's tested by... Uh, an instructor rather than a, than an examiner. So um, as Jamie says, I'm not quite sure of the standards there, but um, I'll give you another example though, where safety, safety and compliance don't, you know, go hand in hand. And in talking about the driver shortage, the government also took the decision to remove the trailer test from car drivers, basically. So if you wanted to pull a trailer that was bigger than 750 kilos, which is, to be fair, your, your Halford's camping trailer, um, th- that type of thing, uh, you had to, you previously had to take a test. Um, the government have now said, or since December, the government said, you don't need to do that anymore. Um, we're going to automatically allow you to pull a bigger trailer. So 
you could have a van, uh, you know, a Ford Transit van or other makes are available, of course, pulling a trailer now, a big trailer up to three and a half ton trailer. And essentially the guy or girl could do that on a car license um, where, you know, that would be compliant. But, you know, as a, as, a, as a business, if you've got a transit van, maybe with a mini digger or something like that on the back, maybe you're into, uh, into, into, into pipe, pipe work or groundwork or something like that, then yes, your driver could, could do that on, a, on an ordinary car license now without taking a further test. But would you let them? I certainly wouldn't. It, I'm, and, and, you know, I'm, you're the safety guys, I, you know, but certainly for me, that comes under purer and uh it, well you, you've got your basic uh duty of care haven't you for that but so without training possibly possibly but then uh, then then we come to the, the the conversation of the difference between competence and training right so you can i can send someone on a one-day course or a two-day course or a three-day course or a five-day course or however long on how to drive a car with a trailer on the back end of it or a van with a trailer on the back end or even a hgv but the difference between that and competence and that when i've had converse, conversations with people okay cool so you, you got you're you're a bit mad you're trying to get loads of drivers in or uh, so you, you, they've been on their course. They've done two weeks, and then what? Do they do they shadow? Do you have them to? Oh, well, it depends. If they've been driving for a bit, we might just let them straight on the truck, right? Okay. Or and then mm. if they haven't been driving for very long, we'll have them with with Bob for a little bit, and then Bob will say, "Yeah, you're good. Jump in the truck." I just think, wow. Like, and and that's not just limited to truck. I mean, we do that absolutely everywhere. You get drive, you know, forklifts are phenomenally powerful uh, pieces of kit with two big knives on the front of them. <laughs> and, and we just go on a two day course and just go cool off you go, go and lift as much as you want. Um, and, and I've been through that. I'm a forklift truck driver of any, in, in my safety role in my first role. And it was just an internal course with the team leader. It was just like, yeah, you'd be all right. Here's your keys. You'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we do this so much. We do it absolutely everywhere. The difference between having what people call a ticket and actually being competent. I think it's, I think it's that mentality of I've done, I've done what I needed to do. Tick the box, isn't it? Rather than actually looking at it. What like we talked about at the start of this, the, the spirit of the law, uh, and, and that's the that's a proper analogy of that, isn't it? Have we done everything really we should be doing? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm, interesting. Um, Pete, you keep looking in and out, mate. But if you if you're you're there, we did. I did when you were out with getting your Waitrose delivery. Uh, <laughs> we um, I asked the gents if there's anything we haven't covered that that irks them. I mean, we've covered we've chatted quite a lot over the last couple of months, I know, uh, weeks, and we might have touched on something that the, a couple of things that, that kind of irks you, but is there anything we haven't covered that you just think, God, I wish we could sort this out. Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm dipping in and out on the internet. I apologize. And I've, I've missed that last question. Um, I, th I think it was around um, what else have we missed? What, what potentially haven't we spoken about? And uh, no, I think, I think we've given, and a fairly comprehensive uh, overview of, uh, of of fleet management. I think if people want specific advice and support, they, they need to give us a shout. Um, but I think uh, I think we've been fairly comprehensive, mate. To be fair, I'm sorry if my internet has been a bit up and down. <laughs> Not so much of the earth. Just came at the right time, mate. Yeah. <laughs> 
at that point. So I, I just want to kind of maybe tie it up with one with one other question. Um, if we've talked quite a lot about the the challenges of the industry and kind of what irks you and so on, what, why do you why do you stay? What what do you love about the profession? What why are you still here? Why the hell do you work with Pete? <laughs> <laughs> Because they wouldn't have me as a pilot. <laughs> oh, yeah, what, why do you stay in the industry? What, what, what do you love about it? I think it's a very rewarding industry. There's, there's a lot of good people in it as well. A lot of, lot of hardworking people. I, you know, I've been in, around different industries. And transport is a very, very hardworking industry. Uh, and it is good when, it, you know, when the team pulls together and things get done, you know, the loads are all delivered. I always say with transport, you start with a plan A, and if you get to plan B, C, or D, you've done really well because <laughs> so many things go wrong through the day. And, and that's the real team mentality to get these things done generally. Uh, so, yeah, trans- transport's an interesting role. It's, very, you know, it's, it's forever changing. It's quite a dynamic industry as well. With, you know, it's, it's not just driving. There might be, as part of that driving job, they might have to be you know, cleaning out sewers or they might be delivering food in fridges. They might be using cranes, lifting skips. It's really dynamic industry with different different sectors to the industry as well. I guess for me, I, I had kind of fallen out of love with it a little bit as an operational transport manager. Um, and I kind of, I peaked. <laughs> Pete's going to go, you're going to see a rolling of eyes here. I kind of peaked because I, uh, I, I, I kind of led, um, when I was down in Portsmouth, I kind of led the team there um, to the Fleet News Fleet of the Year Award. See, I, yeah, I knew I could get to, to mention that one. And I kind of thought, well, you know, there's only one way down from here. You know, that's like sort of, you know, winning the winning the league. There's only one way down. And I was quite, at the time, I was quite sort of um, done with operational transport management. Um, uh, and then I discovered training. And uh, training gave me a new kind of impetus and a new lease of life. And, uh, you know, since, since I discovered training, it's... Uh, uh, the industry has become actually more appealing to me than rather than less appealing. So uh, yeah, it was that that sort of kind of rescued me from probably going off and doing something slightly different. But uh, yeah, and I thought I'd love to get that in there as well. <laughs> oh, it's that picture on the wall just up there. Look with me getting them. <laughs> I'm surprised that hasn't got more pride of place, Mike. I'm surprised yeah, it's really not like literally. Be. There's probably one in every room. Right there. There's one in yeah. every room, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Rushmere, who for the last two episodes has been sitting in front of his award shelf that he's yeah. <laughs> and I awards and that. You know, you know. So why do why do I do it? Well, I get to work with Mike, who's a legend, apparently. <laughs> and I get to work with Jamie uh as well, even if that's not for as long as I want it to be. Um, but yeah, no, it's um transport like do you know what transport is like so dynamic in it and it's so varied our customers our customers are so varied when i left school i wanted to be a professional footballer and and that was never going to happen and if i was never going to be a professional footballer i did all i knew was that i didn't want to work in an office i hated despised the thought of working in an office is that why you never Um, did this one (laughs) yes (laughs) i'm not though am i no because i'm always out doing stuff i can't I can't not be. I'm I'm someone who's always on the move, and I think that's quite well suited to the industry, isn't it? Massively, yeah. Quite well suited yeah. to the industry. So I, I love it. I love a fresh challenge. I don't, the phone rings, a client rings, and literally anything could have happened. 
it is one of those, isn't it? My phone, I, I love it. My phone rings, and it could be anything from uh, what you know. I don't know. You know, you you name it. You name it. It could have happened. So yeah, it's uh, it's always good fun. I love it. I think, um, Jamie, you you touched on something which I, I didn't even think about, which would have been a good conversation, actually, and I, I'm happy to touch on it for a few minutes. But the drivers are not, for a lot of companies and a lot of jobs, they're not just drivers, are they? Yeah, well, ironically, the customers out this morning, they don't see themselves as drivers. They have a truck to do their job. Yet they're governed by all the same rules, and that's why they find it quite tricky because they've, they've, they've got to got the HGV licence because they need it to fulfil their job, although that's probably only 5% of their job. Yeah, um, and they, you know, it's difficult for them to comprehend that because they see themselves as engineers, not not lorry drivers. However, they've got to follow all the rules of a lorry driver once they put, you know, once they start driving that truck. So yeah, it's, it's really it is really interesting that dynamic there of, you know, you, your mindset's got to change a little bit when you're when you're driving that truck. You need to be a lorry driver when you're driving that truck because that's that's what you're governed by at this point. I've got to have a big shout out to the drivers to be fair because that they are you know they are they never cease to amaze me they are a diverse bunch um they are interesting they're funny i did a driver cpc course not so long ago where i met one guy who'd been doing the same job for 57 57 years and on that same course was an elvis impersonator they're just they they are just such a you did start scratching under the surface and they are such a diverse and talented talented and funny bunch of people that uh, it does uh, you know you, you do get some dickheads that's not let's not pretend that, that you don't but you know that there, there are some really really good guys and girls out there and um you know that they are the backbone of this country and that's you know that's not we, we you know we, you could have trains on strike to be fair you know no disrespect to train drivers you could have bus drivers on strike but I tell you what, lorry drivers, if they went on a strike, your world would come to a, a crumbling uh, mess within within days. You know, we've seen that. And, um, you know, I don't think they get the, the recognition that they deserve sometimes. It's a, it's a tough job, isn't it? It's a tough, tough job. job. Long hours. Not many, not many people want to get up at three, four in the morning. Yeah. And go into a 15-hour day, do they? It's a tough job. And I think and it's a lot of concentration. I think many people don't see it really as a skilled job, but like... Yeah. Of that, and again, my interaction with Fleet has been limited. But of the the drivers that I've been in the cab with and just sat and watched them maneuver this huge vehicle into some phenomenally tight gaps, where I'm like, "You ain't ever getting in there." You like, tell me that's not skilled, yeah. yeah not a chance yeah. in there. And, and not so long ago, I saw a, uh, a guy put a video on LinkedIn of of, of a guy reversing an Arctic in the middle of London, everyone was beeping at him, like, beep, 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 can't hurry up, get out of the way, in what I thought is never going to fit this, this trailer down there. No way you're going to fit that. There's solid walls, and this guy's just reversing it down on a tight road. And I've watched this video, like, fascinating. It was kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like one of those, you know, there's like, I don't know, ASMR videos where they get so satisfying because it just perfectly fit or something. It was like that. <laughs> so that is some skill right there to be able to not just manoeuvre that vehicle into that really tight, very precise position, but to do it in the middle of London with loads of pedestrians waiting for you to do what, what you need to do with you with the cars beeping at you and and I just think about that to get on to my drive we go like quite we live on quite a busy road so I I'll, I'm quite I don't 
Like I'm like, if you hit me, it's your fault. I'll stop and I'll start reversing. And loads of people overtake. And I thought, I'm in the right here. I'm I'm maneuvering. You've got to wait for me. I think you might you might tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I'm I'm the one maneuvering. So I I I stop and I reverse into my drive. And the amount of people that will just go. And I'm like, my front end's going to stick out where you're overtaking me, or I'm moving. And I remember on my test being uh, getting a minor um, on the first one because I carried on reversing when somebody was overtaking me. So I got uh, a minor for that. I should have stopped and let them do what they need to do. Apparently nowadays I'm like, fuck you, you, you go. I'm I'm doing what I need to do. Um, I think back to all the other things that I might do, public speaking or whatever. And the second all those eyes are on me, like I'm not at my full potential. And now you're operating all of those things. And now you're operating a HGV. I just think it's it's a phenomenally skilled role that I don't think we we see as a skilled role. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, massively. It's, it's, it's not only the driver's side, it's, it's the working out your hours, planning your day in your head, making sure you're going to get your deliveries off on time, make sure you, you find somewhere to stop. It's not easy to park a HGV. If you're driving into the centre of London and you're running out of driving time, you know, it's skilled to work out where you can park it to get your break in and stuff like that. Nowhere so inside many, the M25, eh? Yeah, there's so many different things that, that goes on in a driver's head. And, and customer interaction as well. They're doing a lot of customer services as, as well. They're dealing with all... It's, it's just the, the 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 stuff that they have to do is phenomenal. I know that the head of safety for one of the main um, waste companies in the UK, and, you know, their, their class was HGVs, I assume, a bin lorry? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Difficult job that is. I'll tell you what, that is a difficult job. And some of the stuff he has to deal with, um, yeah. and people we would go, they're just a bin man. Do you know? Yeah. I mean? It's like, Jesus Christ. Like They're doing a dynamic risk assessment every street pretty much, aren't they? As yeah. soon as they turn down that street, they're looking, can I get down there? If I've got a reverse out this street, is there a way out? Yeah, they're, they're looking at the hazards. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Sort of yeah. and, and he's had he was telling me he's had somebody undertake the the bin lorry on the path so the car oh, yeah. and like li- literally nearly hit one of his bin and which i just thought wow jesus christ for what for what yeah. work for like five minutes to get to the pub i don't know it's just yeah, underrated it is underweight i always a little challenge, and it can be for the listeners as well. Um, if you don't believe what I'm saying, well, what we're saying about bin lorries, Google bin lorry accident or bin lorry crash. I'll tell you what, you'll find hundreds of them, hundreds of them. Yeah, yeah. Very, very difficult job. Yeah, yeah. All, I think if you've got a fleet, of the couple of customers I've worked with that have fleet, um, and where we've been doing stuff where they're – maybe their behavior or whatever kind of rolls into the project kind of operationally. It's a big part of what you do. Um, I've just kind of spent a couple of days in the cab with the drivers, like a couple of different drivers throughout the days. Like you get a real sense of appreciation for what they have to deal with every single day. It's phenomenal. So my advice would be getting, get in the cab. Um, but like just whilst we've got you guys here and, and a lot of listeners um, are just taking on fleet. What, what, if you're being just given fleet or you've not had it for too long, like what's the kind of things that you would be like here, think about this first or go here and what, read this, watch this, do whatever, obviously go and check out fleet geeks, but you get, <laughs> we'll plug that in a minute. The best bit of advice I was given by a transport director was do it safe, do it legally, and then do it cost effectively. And I think that's a good starting point, isn't it? Make sure you're safe and legal. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the cost effectiveness has got to come. It's, you know, it's tight margins in transport. 
But there's no point making lots of money if you're injuring people uh, and you're going to get shut down because you're not compliant. So yeah, I say do it safe. Make sure you, you've got a safe operation. Everyone knows what they should be doing. Uh, do it legally. Make sure the trucks are compliant, your drivers are compliant. Uh, and that's a great place to start. I always think as well, if you do one thing well, you generally the culture rolls through the business, you do it all well. Uh, yeah, and so I think make sure you know, know what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, James, that go out with them, find out for yourself what it's like, yeah. you know, and just get immerse yourself in that world for a day or two and just um, get to get to get to grips with what it actually is they do. Because, you know, my my argument, if you like, with safety professionals is in in the past has been, you know, you've probably got a risk assessment that thick for somebody stapling their face to the desk. But, you know, what happens when your drivers leave that gate? You, you, you know, what do you know about that risks and what do you know about them? Where's your risk assessment for that? And so, yeah, get out there and do it and don't staple your face to the desk, basically. <laughs> nice one, Pete. Yeah, so I, I think um, I think yard yard safety is vital. I think workplace movement of vehicles is huge, and I think often overlooked. Uh, I think that's a, a a vital a vital thing in enforcing strong safety behaviours in uh, in in your yard where where things are visible. And then my next thing is regular regular meetings with your drivers, regular meetings with your drivers a really strong safety induction process about that's empathetic, not just dictatorial. Hang on. I just got to let someone know. Or wait, try Amazon driver. <laughs> so it's about having, it's about having that empathy with, uh, with the drivers, but I definitely, you know, I think a massive thing is having a really nice driver induction process and ongoing, ongoing meetings with drivers, ongoing comms, I think is really, really important. Nice one. Um, thank you very much, gents, for coming on. Uh, I've had a pleasure chatting with you all. Um, it's been a good laugh as well. Um, but I think there's a lot a lot of insight there. I think we've kind of covered everything we wanted to cover. In the, I think a lot of people listening to this will be able to, oh, yeah, that's very, very similar challenges as to what we're dealing with as a profession from a safety point of view as well as a fleet point of view. Um, with some nice insights there as well. Um, do, who wants to do plugs? So what are we doing? A plug for Fleet Geeks and a plug for Flagship then? Do you want to divide that or do you want to, who's going to, who's going to do the plug-in? Who's the salesman? Oh, that's Pete. Oh, that's <laughs> Pete. Yeah, that's definitely not me. I'm not the salesman here. I'd say, yeah, Pete and Mike. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, don't know about this. So I think, uh, all right, I feel like I'm under a bit of pressure here. So, uh, Sell me this pen. Uh, no, so what I'd say about Fleet Geeks, the po- we've got lots of ways that people listening can access access information that will help support them in their role. And the first entry level is the podcast, which is there free of charge for people to go and have a listen to. We've then got a free networking event, which is the last Wednesday of the month, generally speaking, where people can come and meet like-minded professionals. But ultimately, it's all geared towards what we call the peer-to-peer group mentoring program. And that is where isolated, lonely transport people or potentially safety people who have a fleet-type role need a bit of support and can have some real-life uh, real life support, mentoring, progress, um those those kinds of support packages that people really need to help them flourish in their role and get the professional development they need that's what we offer in the peer-to-peer group which is run at the moment once a month we have one group but we're looking to expand that and we have a group of mentors which includes mike myself we've got the main main compliance guy 
from one of the largest supermarkets in the UK who manages a, I think, I can't remember how many fleet units he manages, but it's something like 8,000 um, and more than that drivers and about 50 transport managers uh, across multiple operation centres. And then we've also got a really good guy who works as a consultant as well and a trainer. Uh, so there's really varied experience of the mentors in the group and uh, members get lots and lots of value from it. So that's the Fleet Geeks. And then flagship partners, we're, you know, we make our clients safer, greener and greater. Um, we focus on providing consultancy and training services for fleet operators to help support them. How was that? That was nice. That was nice, mate. Well rehearsed on your 60 seconds over the years, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and if people wanted to find out about those fleetgeeks.com, flagship.com. Yeah, flagship flagshippartners.co.uk is the website. Um, if you're interested in the podcast, just search Fleet Geeks on your favourite podcast app. It'll be there. Nice one. We'll put links in the description as well, mate. Um, Thank uh, you very much for being co-host for the last like this quarter as well um it's been a pleasure i've thoroughly enjoyed it i've really enjoyed it as well it was much better when it was just us two though but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a spin-off mike uh, yeah yeah well yes it we ought to a bit like knots landing from from dallas we ought to do a spin-off series yeah yeah, yeah. you could do like not rebranding safety yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, thanks very much for having us on, James. Yeah, cheers, James. It's been great. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant and uh, lovely to chat. Yeah, no worries, gents. And it was nice to do it, Pete. All, all the, the the episodes we've recorded so far, we've done on a Thursday, which is the, more, the day that I get up at the crack of dawn and go to a networking meeting, and then me and you jump on the on the call, normally the last thing of the day. So I'm like, you're my head off halfway through, which has no reflection on the conversation. <laughs> You hid that one well, mate. <laughs> See, I do listen to them. <laughs> I've had feedback in that, James, you need to stop yawning. Um, I can um, And I was like, no, I'm not yawning because Pete's boring. I'm yawning because I'm up early in the morning on the Thursday. So it was nice to do it on a Wednesday where I'm not so tired. Um, but thank you, gents. Thank you for having, coming on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having us, mate. Cheers. And just coming on, Mike and Jamie. Appreciate that. Cheers. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you very much, Pete Rushmere, for being our quarterly co-host for this quarter. It's been a pleasure having you. And thank you very much for the rest of the Fleet Geeks for coming on the podcast as well. We'll link Fleet Geeks down in the description below if you want to find out some more about that. I hope you've got some value out of this quarterly co-host with Pete. Loads of safety professionals seem to be taking on fleet. And it's a big and complex area, so hopefully you got some value out of that. We will link flagship partners in the description below as well otherwise i'll catch you next week safe the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilized in real life as the only solution available assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies no part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.